30 years ago, this Friday, we're talking about March 17th, 1993, a man fled through the streets of downtown Chicago, weaving his way through the St. Patrick's Day parade. trying to evade U.S. Marshals who were hot on his tail. Dr. Richard Kimball was on the run, staying one step ahead of those federal marshals. And Dr. Kimball was on a mission to prove that he'd been wrongly convicted of murdering his wife. It was like something straight out of a movie. It's because it is straight out of a movie. The Fugitive. In The Fugitive, we follow Dr. Kimball, Harrison Ford. We follow his every decision, each critical to avoiding capture by Tommy Lee Jones, and each also critical to be able to have the time, the opportunity to prove his innocence. 30 years flies by. This is David's life right now as we move into 1 Samuel 21 through 23, David is a fugitive on the run. Last week, you might remember in chapter 20, Jonathan tells David, hurry, be quick, do not stay. My father wants to kill you. So we have in 1 Samuel this tension of an anointed king, David, but He has not yet been coronated. He does not have his throne. He does not have an army. He does not have actual power. And then there's this other king who still has the crown, the authority, the kingdom named Saul. And Saul has accused David of conspiracy to overthrow him and to take his throne. So David is a fugitive. But, but the Lord was with David. 1 Samuel 18, 12 through 14 says that twice. This was David's constant identity reality. The Lord was with David. You may remember that Samuel anointed him basically setting him up to be the next king. And that anointing was also symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon David. So David did not yet have his kingdom, but David was indeed the king to come. Just as there was this tension in Israel between these two, in a sense, rival kings, perhaps in your life, You feel the pressure, you have felt the pressure this week of belonging to Christ and his kingdom, yet still waiting for the fullness of Christ's kingdom that has not yet arrived. And you feel this pressure in different ways, (laughs) stressors, things that press upon you and make you feel like this is all that life has to offer. The emotions, the confusing decisions to be made, the temptations, the, the, 
the, the divided heart that we seem to carry within us. All of these things put inward and outward pressure on us, even as Christians. How are you experiencing those this week? I might remind you of Hannah, the first character in 1 Samuel. How Hannah had the pressures of a barren womb. She had a loving but obtuse, slightly, husband. And a co-wife of her husband who had plenty of children and never let Hannah forget it. But Hannah, despite these very real pressures, trusted the Lord's presence, and she prayerfully sang of the coming anointed one, the King Messiah Christ, who we have now met, personified in David. Let me ask the Lord to direct us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that the ultimate anointed, anointed one pours out his spirit upon his people and that you, Holy Spirit, build up your church as a dwelling place for God. O eternal architect, would you do that even in us corporately today? We ask this in your name. Amen. A couple of sermonic bits to let you know about as we head into chapters 21 through 23. Number one, first one is this, keep your ears open. Keep your ears open because I'm going to quote a few psalms this morning. Because in these three chapters, there are no fewer than five of them. Five psalms that David penned directly from these scenes in this act of his life. So you'll hear me kind of jump into some psalms and jump back out again. Know that when I do that, it's because those psalms are directly connected to those scenes. Second of all, just to tell you this, it was a different week of sermon prep for me this week. I, I, I tend to prep towards the end of the week, and sometimes my family will tell you towards the day before Sunday. Um, but this was a different sort of week in terms of really wrestling with the text and how to bring it to you and asking, even after completing like a couple of full outlines of sermon, what do you want to say to your people this morning, Lord? And this is what I want you to hear this morning. This is what I think the Lord wants us to hear. Simply this, the Lord is always with his anointed. The Lord is always with his anointed. We'll explore this presence of the Lord with his anointed in four movements this morning. The first one being this. The Lord is always with his anointed even in fearful desperation. The Lord is always with his anointed even in fearful desperation, which we could also call, as we've been talking a lot about self-rule, Fearful desperation and self-preservation. David is running for his life. Here in chapter 21, as he, as he leaves Jonathan, he's got to go somewhere. And he makes two desperate, 
fearful, and yes, we could even say foolish decisions. Let's go to chapter 21. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Nob seems to be where the tabernacle was taken after the Philistines destroyed Shiloh. So this is the city of priests now, Nob. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped here in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. So here we see David fleeing from Saul, and he runs to Nob. He must go somewhere, so he flees to the, to the tabernacle for resources. Specifically, something as simple as something to eat. But he doesn't come here, it does not seem, explicitly for the Lord. And so he bends the truth. I'm here on the king's business. I really had to hurry away. And he endangers this priest, trembling Ahimelech. The Lord does provide for David. Ahimelech gives him this special bread, the bread of the presence, that would be brought out and put onto a table just outside the Holy of Holies where the ark was. And that bread would then sit there, symbolic of God's provision for his people and his presence there at the ark. There's a bread reserved only for priests. Should not have technically gone to David. Nevertheless, Ahimelech gives him the bread, gives him the sword of Goliath. But then we see this foreshadowing of this Guy lurking in the shadows, Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Where does David go next after he receives the bread and the sword? Verse 10. 
David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. That name should sound familiar to us. Gath is Goliath's hometown. So David flees there for security. But what is David strapping right now? Goliath's sword. And there is none like it, as we've just heard. David is fearful. He can't stay in Nob, so he runs to the Philistines. He forgets who he is, the anointed one, who can trust God entirely. And he's made out to be a fool, literally, as we'll see in a moment. See, fear can make us, Christian, forgetful of who we are. Which can then lead us, when we act in fear, to foolish decisions. This seems like my only choice. It's just right there in front of me. I'll bend the truth a little bit like David and Nob. Or I'll go find security in a place where I shouldn't really be looking for security because God is not there. But too often this results in the fact that we have trusted a false king. And we are seized, as it says in Psalm 56 about this episode, we are seized and trapped in our foolish decision like David. Let's continue on in chapter 21. He is now in Gath, verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to the king, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So the king's servants are like, O king, don't you see his sword? Don't you remember what he just did to our champion? And now he's here among us. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Again, Psalm 56 says that he was seized. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the door of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. He's made a foolish decision and now he starts acting like a fool. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Then he puts the blame on them. Why have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David departed. David escaped from there. This foolish choice was answered by a foolish ruse. And God in his mercy to his anointed rescues him. How many of us, when we think back on our lives, Christians, can say the same exact thing? Even as a Christian, I have made some foolish choices. But God has been faithful. And sometimes he's used the weirdest, the weirdest situations, 
to bring me from a place where I put myself to a place of renewed safety in him. That's grace. That's mercy. We need to sing with David when we think of those things. Psalm 34. Sorry, I got a lot of psalms ribboned in my Bible this morning. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David is writing this. He's penning this. He's thinking back on this as he thinks of this scene in the king of Gath's court. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble be here and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. I was trapped. And he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. So David flees from Gath, and he goes and he hides in a cave. And the Lord meets David in the cave. Listen to Psalm 57, 1 through 5. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. As I am in this cave, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David is remembering who he is. He's remembering God's steadfast love to him. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The anointed fugitive is learning to trust that God is always with his anointed. But it isn't only the Lord who meets him in the cave. Look back in your Bibles to chapter 22. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. His dad and his brothers, they were definitely personas non grata now. They were not in Saul's good graces because David was not in Saul's good graces. So now, especially these brothers who did not quite know what to make of their baby brother, 
now flee to him in the cave. But not only them. Verse 2, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. This is the turning point in this act of David's story. I might even go so far as to say this is the turning point in David's entire anointed story. The Lord brings people to him. The Lord gives his anointed an army, a family. See, the Lord is always with his anointed, especially with the desperate and distressed. Note the contrast with Saul. We've seen him throughout 1 Samuel. And there'll be these little toss-in phrases. And Saul bound himself to this man, to David, and to other valiant men. Saul was always trying to scoop in the best-looking, strongest, most valiant men that he could find in Israel. This is not what David has. In the next chapter, we're going to see that Saul even tries to buy his servant's loyalty with farms and military rank. But see, this is not how the anointed one of God leads. He takes command of the least of these. The desperate desperados. The people who have nothing to lose because they have lost everything. These are distressed by the rule of Saul, Jesse and his sons, everyone else who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, perhaps even to Saul himself. Everyone was bitter in soul, and all these people gathered to David. This becomes the family of David. This becomes his army. This becomes, at this point, his motley crew kingdom. And how does David respond? He rejoices and he exalts in the provision of an unimpressive but God-gathered people. Listen to the second half of Psalm 57. The first half, you can feel, you can feel the reality that he's in a cave. And in the second half, I'm thinking the, the people arrive and then David exalts and sings. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast, steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Even as this is the turning point in 
this act of David as the anointed, still yet to be fully king, it's also the turning point in this sermon. For it is in the cave, or I would also say it is within the church, that God gathers together the desperate and distressed, the fugitives and outcasts, and gives them rest with the anointed Christ, their commander. Jesus the Christ is the one who invites the desperate and distressed. Those who are law keepers, trying to keep it all together, trying to follow Moses. And he says, come to me for rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly, then this continues on into chapter 12, and listen to what happens right after he has made this promise, this invitation to those who are desperate and distressed. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests, because they work on the Sabbath, in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you Pharisees would not have condemned my disciples, the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, announcing that true rest is found in him. And that all those who are with him, did you catch that? Are guiltless. Jesus the Christ is also the one who invites not only the desperate and distressed, but the fugitive and the outcast. These lawbreakers, he invites them to come to rest as well. In Mark chapter 2, listen to this. And Jesus reclined at table in his house. And many tax collectors, not Jesus' house, this was... Um, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, Matthew, the tax collector, he was chilling at Matthew's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And then just a few verses later, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, announces that the bread of the presence of God is for all of those who will dine with him. Jesus is the God for the Lord, for the law keepers, rest for the law keepers, failed law keepers, and he's also rest for the lawbreakers. By his grace, that, John, that knit Jonathan's heart to David, as we heard last week. God gathers here in this cave, in this church, the desperate and distressed. Desperate and distressed because by their failure, they have not been good enough. The fugitives and the outcasts who never tried to be good enough to turn their individual sin and join instead corporately into the kingdom of their Christ. The kingdom of their Christ. Such repentance and faith is evidence that the anointed Christ shares the anointing of his Holy Spirit with all those who are in him. My friend, if you do not know this gentle and lowly Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, who offers rest for our souls, will you turn from your sin? And join Jesus the Christ today. His invitation is to us. Will you believe that his cross was for you and that his resurrection calls you into, offers you a new life of rest with him? Brother and sister in Christ, crucified with him, buried with him in baptism, and raised with him to walk in newness of life. No, 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 no. That the Lord is always with his anointed, even in fearful desperation and foolish choices. The Lord is always with his anointed, especially with his desperate, distressed, fugitive, and outcast people. And that work of God in his people shows out. Because third of all, the Lord is always with his anointed and it's evidenced in faithful decisions for the sake of others. Self-sacrifice. Look back at chapter 22, verse 3. David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you. Remember that David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess, Ruth. Let my, let my mom and dad stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And David left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. But then, 
The prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. David takes his parents to the king of Moab, but then Gad says, Don't play it safe, David. Don't play it safe. You're meant to be the king. You're the anointed one. Return to the kingdom that God is giving you. Meanwhile, Saul is inhaling conspiracy. Doag the Edomite has returned, and though Saul's servants, who are actually loving David at this point, they won't rat David out, but Doeg the Edomite does specifically ratting out Ahimelech, the priest. But remember, we met Ahimelech in the first chapter, and Ahimelech was trembling. I would like you to look at chapter 2, or 22, go to verse 12. Saul has now summoned Ahimelech before him. He wants some answers. Here now, son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech answered, Here I am, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No! Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And that's exactly what happens. By the hand of Doeg, because no one else would raise their sword, Saul slaughters the entire town of Nob. Women, children, kids. This whole town of priests and Eli's house is now ended. According to the curse earlier in 1 Samuel. Except for one survivor. Verse 20. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. David, did you see that? Takes responsibility. He takes responsibility for his, the foolish, his foolish deception in Nob that ultimately opened the door to this massacre. But now God has brought someone else, another outcast, in this case Ahimelech, to David. And he offers his life, he offers safety and security. But hear this, in this man, Ahimelech, this is the great-great-grandson of Eli, the cursed one. 
All of Eli's family should be wiped out. But here, the son of the cursed one finds salvation in the anointed king. David offers his life, offers his protection for the sake of this young priest on the run. I'll let you read Psalm 52. It's basically David's diss track for Doeg. Read in its fullness, but in brief, David sings this. Why do you boast of evil, mighty man? The steadfast love of the Lord endures all day. God will break you down forever, Doeg. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Note David's confident courage in the Lord's steadfast love and presence. And note, as we read earlier, the newfound courage, the newfound courage in Abiathar's dad, Ahimelech, when he faced up to Saul and pleaded the righteousness of David. There was obviously a change in him, a courage brought about from this encounter with the anointed. I think we need to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, has Jesus Christ made us courageous? Has he made us courageous? For the sake of others, specifically. You may feel those pressures, and oftentimes those pressures have people connected with them. Relationships. And we think, what if the Lord doesn't protect me? What if he doesn't promise protection? What, 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 if, what, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Listen, God does not ultimately promise his protection. But he does promise his presence. His preservation, which is different than protection. His preservation and your perseverance. Being united with Christ in his death and resurrection means that we will persevere. His preservation is eternal. So that pressure point that you might be asking a lot of the what ifs about, some of your greatest fears might happen. if you walk courageously into that point of pressure. It might go badly. But he's with you. His anointing in the Christian is real. We are in Christ, and Christ by his Spirit is in us. Back in the 3rd century A.D., there was a man named Patrick. Patrick came from a relatively rich Christian family, but then he was abducted. 
by Irish pirates. Delivered to Ireland, he was given the task of a herdsman as a slave. Patrick never made a decision to follow Christ until he was kidnapped and then made a slave. In his autobiography, Confessions, Patrick wrote, The Lord opened my senses to my unbelief, so that though late in the day I might remember my many sins, and accordingly I might turn to the Lord my God with all my heart. Patrick also wrote about how his faith in God grew as he prayed to him while he shepherded the flocks. But after I had come to Ireland, it was then that I was made to shepherd the flocks day after day, and as I did so, I would pray all the time. Right through the day, more and more the love of God and fear of him grew strong within me. And as my faith grew, so the spirit became more and more active in me. In snow, in frost, in rain, I would hardly notice any discomfort. And I was never slack, but always full of energy. It is clear to me now that this was due to the spirit within me. One night, Patrick had a dream. In it, he heard a voice telling him, Soon you will be returning to your own country. In another dream, he received a response to the first dream, being told, come and see where your ship is waiting for you. Two years later, Patrick finally made it to his beloved Britain and into the arms of his mother and father, who pleaded with him never to leave them again. Patrick began to settle back into his life in Britain and study to become a priest and a bishop. But one night, Patrick had a dream of a man who seemed to come from Ireland and was carrying a letter with the words, the voice of the Irish. As Patrick began to read the words, he seemed to hear the voice of the same men he worked with as if they were shouting, holy broth of a boy, we beg you, come back and walk with us once more. To which, to the opposition of his parents, he returned to Ireland. Patrick shared the gospel with his former slave owner, Millic the Druid. But instead of turning his back on his pagan gods, Millic locked himself in his house and set it on fire. While Patrick stood outside and pleaded with him to turn to Christ. It is said that Millic drowned out Patrick's pleas by crying out to his false gods. Millick's refusal to hear the gospel was just the beginning of Patrick's challenges with the Druids as he spread the good news across Ireland and taught its people how to read and write until the end of his life. If we had time to go into chapter 23, I'll leave that to you to read this week. You're going to find that this family of followers under the anointed starts to pray. And they start to ask God, how might you use our power for the sake of others? How might your salvation be brought to others? And God answers them and they go and they rescue the city of Kila from the Philistines. But then the Lord says, guess what? They're going to betray you. And they do. And David and his band flees. Jonathan then finds David and encourages him, saying, You will be the king. And my father knows it. They leave there, and then a clan from their very own tribe of Judah, the Ziphites, they betray, they betray David and his people as well. David and his men find themselves in the wilderness of Maon, 
They're on one side of the mountain. Saul's on the other. Saul presumably splits his forces to capture them all. And as they're closing in fast, about to catch David, a messenger arrives to Saul. Hurry and come, for the Philistines have attacked the land. Saul turns heel and returns to Israel. God did not give his anointed into Saul's hand. Let me just encourage you. The pressures of this already not yet kingdom are real. But God's presence is realer. The Lord is always with his anointed and his anointed are always with him even in the wilderness. So as we wait for that day when we will no longer be in the wilderness, but we will be with our Christ in the promised land, our faith will become sight. We pray, asking him for victories. And we're not surprised when people betray Christ. We pray for victories. I would encourage you to come and pray this Wednesday night. Come and pray next Sunday morning down in the fellowship hall before the service. May the Lord, through the anointing of the Spirit and our anointed Christ, lead us and guide us in all things, including the big choices we have next Sunday, because we will trust his presence and we will watch and wait for his appearing. The Lord is always with his anointed and his anointed are always with him. Let's pray. This is a prayer of St. Patrick. A prayer of presence. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ where I lie, Christ where I sit, Christ where I rise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Christ. May your salvation, Lord, be ever with us. Amen.